think of more appropriate words than the words we've just sung, and especially in light of what we are going to hear tonight and what we are going to receive from your word. I pray that you would bring the word clearly through my feeble and imperfect lips to the people you've gathered here with me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. <clears throat> Well, again, thanks for uh, thanks for making time to be with us tonight and to worship God in spirit and truth and to hear His word. Uh, we've got a pretty familiar passage to probably many of you tonight from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Uh, just to bring you up to speed on kind of what's happening at the moment that this event takes place. Right before this, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 men, plus women and children, with a few loaves of bread. Clearly a miraculous event that blows away the crowds, blows away the disciples, and, uh, you know, frankly, uh, after it's all done, Jesus is looking for a little bit of rest. He's looking to sort of get away for a bit. And so we're going to pick up the story as he's sort of in the process of sending people away so that he can get a break for himself, because after all, even though he is almighty God in the flesh, he is still completely human. And yes, Jesus needed rest. And so... By way of that uh, introduction, let's hear from God's Word, Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered, Lord, if it is you, Command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand. And took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. End of reading. So a few years back, uh, my family and I had the chance to go up to Speculator Lake, which is the home, I can't the woods is on that lake, and a bunch of other Christian camps are around that lake, and, and we got to spend a week up there doing, you know, what you do when you're outdoors in upstate New York. I mean, we, we did some hiking, and, you know, we did a lot of swimming, and we were mostly outside, and, and one day I decided that I would take my boys out on a canoe. Now, I grew up in the West Coast, you guys know, I'm from California, most of my time, if it was ever spent in the water, was spent in the ocean, which meant I was trying most of the time poorly to surf or, you know, at least boogie board or something like that. But I, I don't think I've really ever 
gone canoeing before. Maybe I had, but it certainly wasn't something I was used to doing. Nevertheless, I saw all these, you know, sort of average Joes, just like me, canoeing out in the lake, and I thought, I can do it. I mean, I can pick it up. So I loaded my boys up in the canoe with me and got our paddles, and initially headed out straight into the lake. It was nice. It's nice being here. And then a boat passed by real close to us going very fast, and the waters got really choppy. And suddenly, me and my boys are wobbling back and forth in the boat, you know, and it's pretty violent. And my instant reaction when we started wobbling, because I was terrified of my little guy falling into the lake, was to just start paddling. So that's what I did. I just started paddling on one side. And here's what happens when you paddle on one side. <laughs> you just go in circles until you stop paddling on one side. <clears throat> and it took me quite a bit of time to get out of that spinning cycle <laughs> to figure out uh, dumbbell. This ain't gonna get you anywhere. <laughs> now, I understand if you think less of me after hearing that story, a 39-year-old man who doesn't know how to, you know, paddle a canoe. I got it eventually. But but the point is, you know, there's sometimes, I mean, no matter how much you paddle, uh, it's not gonna get you where you want to go. As we as we come upon our story today, Jesus will told makes his disciples get into a boat. That's what it says at the beginning. He made his disciples get into a boat to row to the other side of the sea. The reason? Well, wants to stay behind, rest. He's just been bombarded by crowds. He wants to pray. And he probably wants to mourn because just before this, he had heard that his partner in the ministry, his predecessor, John the Baptist, and the family member of Jesus, had been murdered by the state. He didn't have a bit of time to just take that in. So he says, boys, you go ahead, and I'll meet you on the other side. They don't bother to ask him how he will meet them on the other side. They just get into the boat, and they start rowing. And at that point, he knows something that they don't know. He knows that he is sending them out into extraordinarily choppy, stormy waters. Based on the calculations in the text where it says he sent them out basically early evening, and then he comes out to them at the fourth watch of the night, we know by that time that they ended up rowing in stormy waters for nine hours. Nine hours trying to get across and they could not do it no matter what they tried to do they got more and more exhausted more and more wet and more and more wind swept as they struggled to get to the other side and yet jesus made them get into the boat Maybe, maybe you felt like that at some point in your life. I mean, maybe there are a, a literal storm in the boat and you have felt that fear of sort of being stuck and out of control. But of course, we all know the sort of figurative storms that we face. 
you know, the, the loss of a job or, you know, medication that's just not doing the trick, it's not helping with my pain or, or a family member that goes into the hospital that you thought had recovered from cancer only to find out that it's come back with a vengeance and it's much worse. And it's when we, we face storms like this that we are, I think, often prone to feeling so humbled by them that we just cannot face what's in front of us. Why would God make his disciples go into the storm? Well, Perhaps it was to show them what they could accomplish through hard work. I mean, there's a sense in life in which that certainly is a principle that's true, right? I mean, if you work hard, you study hard, you get into a good school, you study hard there, you get a good job, you move up the ladder, you make more money, you get a nice house, well, hard work is good. Persistence is good. Not giving up is good. I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but when I was a kid, it was drummed into me pretty early on with books like The Little Engine and Good. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Hard work, persistence, do it, don't stop, don't give up. And the scriptures extol that to some extent too. We're told to be persistent, to endure trials of many kinds and the difficulties and tribulations that will come in this life. So it could be when one comes to a story like this in which God sends his people out in the storm that they take away from it, I know why. God wants to teach them the value of hard work. Of course, I mean, the problem with that here is that uh, they've been working hard for nine hours. They've been persistent. They've been enduring, they're still not getting anywhere. It seems to be that, that sometimes, no matter how hard we paddle, sometimes it doesn't help. It only exhausts us more. Maybe even in a storm like that, you're trying everything you know to do. You're using all, your, all the wits you got. You're seeking out advice from other people about how to handle this particular issue. You're fretting and fretting and fretting. But the problem just doesn't seem to go away. The addiction keeps coming back to you. The depression is not going away because no matter what medication the doctor prescribes, it's just not the right combination of things in order to get the chemicals working in the right way. The spouse just doesn't love you anymore, or I mean, you may have. In life, there, there's going to be times where you can paddle all you want, and you can go on circles. So as much as I want to extol the value of hard work and persistence, this isn't downplaying that, that's not why the disciples were sent out with this story. No indication of that here. Well then, okay, perhaps the reason God sends them out into the storm is to show them what they can accomplish 
through the strength of their faith. That would certainly be a reasonable, and I think it's probably the way I've heard this passage preach my life the most, that this is a story about what can happen through the power of your faith. Indeed. I mean, Peter sees Jesus walk in the water, and he's like, hey, me? Can I do that too? And Jesus is like, sure, come on up. And Peter, believing the word that has been spoken to him, jumps on the water and walks on. As he focuses on Jesus, Wow, the faith produces the ability to work miracles. Unbelievable. On top of this, I mean, you don't need to be a Bible scholar to know that the Bible really extols the value of faith. You got a whole chapter sometimes referred to as the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, in which basically the writer of Hebrews recounts almost all of the Old Testament and how each character in the Old Testament that accomplished great things did so by faith. Towards the end of that chapter, he waxes eloquent, saying in verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. By faith, the sea parted. By faith, the walls of Jericho came down, he says. Then he goes on, he says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Wow, what can faith do? Unbelievable. But I'm afraid that's not ultimately the reason why God sent his disciples out into this storm this night. Yes, it's true. It's true that Peter, through faith, did walk on water. And yes, it is true that true faith, God's people throughout history have been equipped to do mighty things. Still, that's true today. All true. But of course, I mean, what happens to Peter? It doesn't take long before that strong faith that caused him to walk in the water has now left him and he's sinking. If you look at the disciples, upon seeing Jesus walk in the water, you might expect them to go, it's a miracle. Praise the Lord. He's here to help us. But no. They don't have eyes to even see him or notice who he is. And so it says they think he's a ghost and they're terrified. Maybe you've had seasons like this. Where for a time you felt like your faith was just rock solid. Tends to be for, for people that are just brand new to the faith, you know, there's just like everything has changed, uh, you know, and, and there's so many new things that they're being exposed to, and it's like God is walking with them everywhere they go, and their prayers are zealous in the words of Scripture, 
are coming off the page to them. And it's just, it's wonderful and powerful. But then maybe, maybe something really hard has happened to you for which you don't have an explanation, you don't have an answer. And what you thought you knew about God all of a sudden is being called into question. And you feel yourself sinking. So I, I, don't, I don't think that ultimately the reason Jesus sends his people out in the storm here is to teach them the value of hard work, or for that matter, even to teach them the strength of their faith. Well, then, okay, you know, you're like, okay, pal, what is it then? Like, what's the point? All right, fine, I'll tell you. It's to show these people that he alone has the power to save them and save you in the midst of the storm. That's the point. It's true, he alone has the power to walk on water and never sink. His faith never fails. It is striking to me what Jesus says as he walks up to them on the water. They're terrified, of course. They have every reason not to be terrified, but they're terrified. Jesus walks up and he says these words. He says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. The words, it is I, are an English translation of the Greek phrase, ego eimi. And ego eimi is the Greek way of saying actually more literally, not just it is I, but actually I am. Now this is a boat full of good Jewish boys. When they hear Jesus say, take heart, I am, do not be afraid. They realize they're hearing the voice of God. Because that's exactly what God called himself when Moses asked for his name back in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. Who should I tell the people of Israel is sending you? Tell them I am is sending you. What is Jesus doing by showing up and declaring his divinity in the midst of the storm? Reminding them, boys, don't forget who he is with you. I am God in the flesh. I am all-powerful over whatever waves may come. Trust me. Ah. What happens if trust fails? What happens then? I mean, he certainly gave them every reason to trust. He just fed 5,000 people with a bunch of the few loves. He's, I mean, he's walking on water. They've seen him give sight to the blind. They've seen him touch lepers and make them well. They've seen him do all sorts of like God stuff. They have no reason to doubt. And yet, at the first hint of wind that comes to Peter, he falls apart. He sinks. What then? It would be entirely understandable for God to say, have I done enough for you? When are you going to get it? 
maybe, maybe just let Peter fall to his own devices. But no, at the very, at the very moment, even as his faith has fallen, at the very instant, Peter cries out, Lord, save me. The word, the word in Matthew is immediately he reached out his hand. Immediately. Instantly. And brought him up. Immediately. Yes, he's the God who sends us out of the storm and shows us that no matter how incapable we are of dealing with the elements of the storm, he is always capable to save us in the midst of the storm. When I was around uh, 10 years old, my brother and I were in a relative's house and we were swimming in the backyard. Uh, I, I mean, this is the 80s, so I don't remember if there was actually any adult supervision out there. I don't think there was. They, they, I'm telling you, like, it was, my generation, I think, was the last one that sort of like has stories like of being in the back of pickup trucks with no seatbelt on, just like flying as we go past speed bumps, it was like normal, no seatbelts and stuff like that. And, and, and I, I remember, I'm pretty sure it was just me and my brother out there. I was 10, he was five, he didn't even really know how to swim yet. We were in the shallow end of the pool, and that was fine, because he didn't know how to swim. But I know how to swim, and being a big 10-year-old, I was pretty sure I was strong, and so I said, hey, Scott, why don't you get on my back, and I'll give you a submarine ride. Now, the way my dad used to do a submarine ride for me is I'd get on his back, and then he'd kind of keep his head above water and swim like this, and then, you know, kind of pound them all in the pool. It was fun. I thought I could do that for my brother. So I got my brother on my back, and I started to swim. And pretty soon it was boom, you know, I could not stay up above the water at all. And as I sunk, my five-year-old brother began to sink, and he started panicking because he didn't want to go up the water. So he, in turn, starts pulling my hair to try to come up over and over again, pulling my hair, and I'm, I can't get up, I'm under the water. By this time, I'm panicking, and I'm yelling help under the water. Pretty sure that there's no one there to hear me. And just as I yelled help and started to believe that I would drown right there, I remember my uncle diving in the pool instantly, lifting us to safety. The point of the storm, ultimately for Peter, for you, and for I, is to get us to the point where we're all the time saying, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. When we have nothing left to offer, Lord, save me. And every single time, he puts down his nail-pierced, scarred hands and says, I will. I have. It's done.
Yes, in love, he may rebuke us for our lack of faith, as he does Peter, it's true. But only after he makes sure we know that we're saved. Only after he's brought us to safety. And it is then that, of course, in the arms of Jesus that the storm ceases. And the disciples can see clearly who they actually are with and say they truly are the Son of God. So let's, let's go ahead and wrap this up and then we'll, we'll go to the table. I know, I know how challenging the last five months is to varying degrees. Um, I know how challenging it's been for, for many. I, I, I mean, I, I felt it firsthand. And it's not just the pandemic. I mean, it's not just that. It's all, it's all the other stuff that you know, you're sort of bombarded by in social media and the news. It's, it's the election. It's politics. It's the, you know, the, the racial tensions in the country. It's all the things. You know it. I mean, you, you're, you, you're bombarded by it, too. And there's been plenty of times where I felt overwhelmed. I mean, I'm a dad of three boys in lockdown. I'm trying to figure out what to do, and I don't know what to do sometimes. I mean, just as a Christian, I, I haven't had any answers when people say, why is God allowing us? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I want to be able to tell them I know I don't know. Here's, here's what's gotten me through it. It hasn't been, it hasn't been to say just keep swimming. And it hasn't been to keep paddling. It has been learning to say again and again every day, Lord save me. In the good times and the bad, in the crises and in the comfort, in the comfort times. It's, it's just, it's, it's a rhythm to life. Lord save me. Lord, it turns out today again, I need saving. Oh, look, it's me again. I need saving. Lord, save me. And, and in turn, the scriptures come to me declaring the promises of God over and over and over again, reminding me in the words of Jesus, I have and I will. You can guarantee that. And I think it's then, when we get into this daily rhythm of saying, Lord, save me, and remembering his promises that he will, well, then we can worship him in spirit and truth and just say to the disciples, truly you are the Son of God. Truly you are the Son of God. Yeah, I think that's ultimately why we face the storms we do. It's to get us right there. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for our lack of faith as we're prone to sinking. And help us remember that when we do, one little cry, Lord, save me, is more than enough. Even if we didn't have voice to express those words. It is only the heart that says, I know I need saving. That you promise to reach down and save each and every time. And so we give you praise and thanksgiving for your faithfulness to us, even when we're faithless, as the scriptures say. 
And now we pray the prayer that our Savior gave us with one voice saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. 